Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. A Dear Media original podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Wine Face, where we're breaking down everything the experts know about wine in a fun, digestible, and accessible way, because wine is for enjoying and wine is for everyone. I'm your host, Helen Johannesson from Helen's Wines in beautiful Los Angeles, California. And gosh, today I am so lucky to have a guest on who I've known for a few years now, we are colleagues in the restaurant industry. We are both service professionals. He has been just an amazing person on the Los Angeles scene, coming from New York, working at Nomad. Out here, he has his own restaurant that he owns with business partners called Cato. That's right. If you've been to Cato, then you have met Ryan Bailey. He is the person I have been so excited to talk to because he's doing a style of service that's so different from what I do. I've done it before. He's more fine dining. It's just really, really fascinating to kind of get a sneak behind the scenes, BTS y'all, about what's happening in his world, how he's approaching running and operating his restaurant. So please enjoy. Ryan Bailey, I'm so excited you're here. Thank you so much for coming. No, thank you for having me. It's awesome. I feel like I maybe first met you when you you came out here to help open the Nomad. Yeah. And that's when I first met you. And it was like the New York big guns are coming into town and like brought a whole wine cellar. Am I misrepresenting this? Uh, For better or worse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm from California, so it's kind of coming home. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time both in Northern and Southern California. You're uh, from Sonoma. Originally from the Bay yeah. Area and okay. Sonoma, Napa, yeah. But yeah, back in 2017, Make It Nice, which was EMP and Nomad and that whole group uh, took over uh, the old Bank of America building in downtown LA and renovated it. And yeah, kind of came in. You were the head SOM. Yeah. And you like one. got promoted really fast. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I was in New York for six or so years. I worked there between the restaurants and... Uh, for New York, that's fast. Six years. I feel like people slave away in New York for like a promotion. Yeah. Like I mean, it was. it's kind of weird because in New York, you have all these large programs, like huge sellers that have been around for decades. And you have big sommelier teams. You know, one restaurant having six, seven sommeliers. Yeah. Um, so it was definitely a culture shock to go from actually at the time I was in Sacramento. 
you know, selling, you know, 17% Pinot Noir and 19% Zinfandel to all of a sudden in like two weeks, just like completely pack up my life and move to New York. Love uh, that though. Yeah. What a ballsy move. Yeah, I was really ignorant, like blissfully ignorant. We all are. <laughs> I packed up a Volvo and drove to LA without a job and was like, I'm going to get a job. And I did within 10 days. Oh, there you go. But I had no experience, but Kraft hired me. Thank you, Kraft. <laughs> Thank you, Tony Tricanello. That's who hired me. There you go. What, tell, break it down for me because this actually I don't know about you. Did you do like any formal sommelier training? People ask me that all the time yeah. and I'm like, let me give you the long and short. No, I did not. I'm self-taught, but what what was your story? What was your path? So my path was a little different. I got started in restaurants in high school and my dad was in meat distribution. He was friends with all these old school chefs and I wanted to work on my car and I was a teenager. What and, kind of car? Come on. Oh, I, I had a bunch of cars. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, okay. but my brother was working on his uh, Mustang and I had a bunch of beat up kind of four wheel drive trucks and such. Oh my God, so And cool. so I started in this kind of formal restaurant called The General's Daughter in Sonoma. And there was one of like kind of the time period where sommeliers weren't a thing quite yet. There were like at like French Laundry and high-end restaurants, but captains, like the actual like waiters took care of the wine service. And, but I wasn't old enough to do that. Uh-huh. So I got a fake ID. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Um, yeah. And I like used my fake ID to go like wine tasting in Sonoma. I love that. Um, and for other things too. Yeah. But of course. yeah. As we uh, all did. As we, I had a fake ID. Yeah. And it was the worst fake ID, yeah. by the way. It was the like comically bad. It Yo. was like six inches too short, like 33 years old. Like, Dude, before <laughs> I got my fake ID, I tried to use my mom's real driver's license once in New York. And they were like, so you're a 45 year old woman with blue eyes. And I was like, Yep. <laughs> yeah, mine was worse. Uh, mine was real bad. Oh. But I grabbed every book I could and I went tasting throughout Sonoma because these captains were making like serious money every yeah. night. They were making, you know, sure. $400 cash walking out. And I didn't think that that was going to be my profession. But, you know, one night the chef got really mad at a captain and like kind of like kicked him out. <laughs> and I kind of took... Old school restaurant culture yeah, creeping very, in. Very old that school restaurant culture. That is not cool nowadays. No, not at all. Nope. Yeah, but that not. used to be how it was. Chefs oh, yeah. would yell, kick, scream, throw things. I worked at a place where like a chef did that and it was insane. I had a chef, yeah, I had a chef give me like the silent treatment for like three months and I was expo. Wait, was that's like, insane. Yeah. You're the <laughs> I was expo and he just like, I'm not talking to you anymore. You're the, you're his partner at the pass. Yeah. Wow. It was it was pretty bad. But he kicked that guy out that night and that guy happened to be like doing a wine dinner. And so I just kind of just stepped in. Um, as that. an assistant server. And then I asked the owner of the restaurant, GM, to give me a test because I wanted to be a captain. I was like 19. This is kind of old school where like it was more formal. Yeah. And so they gave me a test and I, I aced it because I had been studying and reading books. And this isn't, this is like the OG books, like the books that right. like you really had to seek out. Dense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like I have those books. Yeah. Like definitely dated, but like I don't know, like Karen McNeil's like wine Bible. I must have read that like oh four or five gosh. times back and that forth. Thing I, could, I used to hit it over my head. Just be like, God, you're so dense. But it yes, so, dense, yeah. so much info. So I did that, but I was studying to be a physical therapist and mathematics in college. Whoa. And then on my, I used to drive down to San Francisco actually on my weekends. And I would use my tip money at the bar at RN74, which oh, is yeah, Michael Mina's old burgundy restaurant. And I used to like, with like legit an envelope, oh <laughs> like be God. like, okay, what bottle can I afford tonight? That's incredible. Um, yeah. So I'd serve. Do you it. remember any of the like best ones you got? I remember like a couple early bottles of Claude Marichal, New St. George. That yep. was definitely like oh, iconic I for me. And at the time, like peak of my budget. 
Wait, that's crazy that you said that. I just went to our offsite and pulled some 2016 Clotin Marichal today. Nice, <laughs> nice. So weird. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Yeah, no, but so that like that met. that's like I I I had an apartment share because I had a place in Sacramento when I was studying to be a physical therapist, and I apartment share what I had Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday nights. I had a bed in an apartment, not even like a room, a bed in this apartment. Wow. And I would surf in the morning. And then there was never tastings, like portfolio tastings in Sacramento. So then I'd do a portfolio tasting in the afternoon, uh, like old school, like Rudy Weiss and things wow. like that. And then I would try to go to like a Dodger or a Giants game. Sorry, now I'm LA, but a yeah. Giants game. And then I would end up at the bar at RN74. And then I'd do it again the next day and then drive back up to Sacramento. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wait, so fun. Yeah. So you're more like self-taught as well. Yeah. I don't know why I thought that you like, maybe it's the nomad thing or the feeling that in New York, like you have to have had some sort of like stamp. Yeah. But you didn't. Yeah. Well, like, so I. You're just highly intelligent and like could be like, yo, ask me any question. It was kind of one of those things that at the time, everybody really, because the documentary saw him, got into like the court. And yeah, my 21st (laughs) or like right around my 21st birthday, I took the first two exams and passed them because you kind of had to have those to get a job. Wait, same. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting because that's how I met a a gentleman who was a wine buyer in sommelier who ended up taking over EMP and then hiring me in New York. But I quickly realized that that wasn't necessarily my path. Like I didn't align with that kind of culture. So I decided I wanted to like do some writing and private buying and traveling and I wanted to work on the floor, but I also wanted to help out and try to get my foot in and understand kind of every aspect of wine. So I I just kind of reached out in that. I ended up like taking a year off of physical therapy school. Like before I went to my doctorate degree, I decided, you know what, I'm going to postpone that and just let that be and go to CIA. So I went to CIA. That's cool. Um, but I was working at nighttime. So it was Culinary just, Institute for y'all. Yeah. I don't know what the, it's not the CIA. <laughs> like we're not at Langley. Okay. <laughs> this is John Krasinski has not entered the chat. But yeah. So Wait, I did that. But so then, can yeah. you still do a crack snap? Oh, my culinary skills are comically bad. I meant yeah. with the physical therapy, but oh, yeah, really? oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but also cracking. Oh yeah, a yeah, 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 yeah. I still, you know, like I definitely thought I was going to be a PT and a physical therapist for the rest of my life, but I just kind of saw that there was more opportunity in terms of like diversity of a career and like doing different things at different periods of time in my life by staying in wine. Like your um, partners are like, please, my neck. Oh my God, yeah. Ryan, I'm dead. <laughs> I, I do everybody in the kitchen. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh my God, be careful. Okay, wait. Usually we do you bring, I bring, which is yeah. the wine. Let's open. And usually I open everything. Do you okay. want to open yeah. the first wine that yeah, you brought? Let's do and that. What is it? And why did you bring it? And um, let's talk about it. I'm going to let you speak because I don't know what it is. <laughs> so yeah. I, this is a perfect segue. So you own a restaurant. Yeah. Okay. I'm partners with my buddy, John Yao, and our GM, Nikki Reginaldo, and uh, Cato. And so moved to LA, like we said, Nomad and that team at the time was like riding this crazy high of being number one restaurant in the world and three Michelin stars at EMP. And Nomad was like printing money and doing so great. It was crazy. It was crazy. And they came into LA, unfortunately, thinking like everything that we do in New York is successful. So it's going to be successful in LA. And but it was downtown LA, was downtown. which was having a moment, yeah. I will say, but like not really. It just was huge. It was they huge. They should have gone to like the the where like the bungalow, San Vicente bungalows yeah. are. Like that kind of vibe would have taken off. Way so more. it's kind of crazy because there's actually like an interesting like the city had given a tax break 
to all these businesses, specifically hotels, to develop the old theater buildings off of Broadway oh. and around Broadway. So that's why you saw the Ace, the Proper, the Hoxton, oh. the Nomad, all these hotels open up. Uh, is because they get a huge tax break. And that's why that kind of hotel strip started up, despite there not necessarily being a demand for it, and especially not a, di- a demand for like fine dining there. But they were making New York phone call decisions saying like, hey, this works in New York and this is going to work in LA. And the people in LA, including myself, were like, you know what? Like, hey, LA is a completely different town. Like it, it, it has its own feel. The people want their own thing. You need, right. you can't just plop another concept from New York here. And that's, you know, the end of the story. That's kind of why it like didn't really succeed is because… But it's still open? No, it's closed. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wait, so where have it, I been? Yeah, it closed. Not going downtown. <laughs> I've had many a drink on the rooftop. Yeah, it was nice. lovely. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was, it was a gorgeous was really, building. really nice. But that opened up the opportunity for me to partner with John in Cato. And so, yeah, we had a tiny restaurant. It was… nine. You're in a new space now, right? Yeah. It started in a strip mall yeah. and it's like… Taiwanese-influenced, like, refined dining. Is that, How would you describe it? Yeah, Am I butchering that? No, no, no. It's definitely uh, Taiwanese-American. It's influenced by John's upbringing in uh, San Gabriel Valley. Ugh, um, it was 900 square feet and seven employees. You know, John really figuring out what it meant to just cook in the old space in West LA by Sautel. And then for three years, we looked at I must have looked at over 100 buildings. We worked on certain uh, properties for months. You know, we did a raise, a business development. We really tried to figure out what the next steps were. But that was during COVID. And so there was a lot of unknown. And not a lot of people super excited about opening a restaurant during that time. Yeah. Did you do like, what did you take out? What did you guys do during COVID? Uh, We had a little patio. Little patio. Patio. Um, And yeah, the team was lean enough. And... Uh, we had enough demand because we had just gotten LA Times number one restaurant yeah, and the Michelin Star, which was like a feat because there was no beverage program. There was literally no beverage program. There was mostly just Nikki doing service in front of house most nights. And, yeah. you know, it was a, definitely a, a like a sense of discovery and what Cato was. And then to make the jump this last year, which is like astronomical, we went to from like 900 square feet to 5,000. Seven employees. We got like over 40. Whoa, um, that's a huge jump. Yeah. And like, and then opening up and nobody was opening up because of COVID. Really, it was kind of a little bit of a slower time. So then every critic and every person was like, okay, like, like in the door within three weeks. It's kind of messed up. Yeah, it was How tough. has it been growing into that space? How it's, does it feel? It feels good. Yeah. It feels good, yeah. It's amazing. Um, I have an incredible bar director in Austin Henley. So we have an amazing bar program. Mm, yeah. Um, we went from zero to probably about 2,500 wine selections. I know. <laughs> That's quite a leap. <laughs> yeah, making up for lost time. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Yeah. How are, And so did you source, I haven't seen the list there, but how'd you build that list? What is the Cato wine list? Like, did you go to auction? Did you cobble together from a few sources or did you... Like, what's your strategy or what was? So this is like the first time I was doing it with like my dime, like my budget. Right. And so we definitely scaled. Yeah, changes things a lot. (laughs) But we, you know, at Nomad, we had a humongous list. We had, you know, 4,000 selections. We had one of the largest champagne programs in the world. And I was buying from like 40 plus distributors. And that I quickly realized that just communicating with that many people was overwhelming. Yeah. So I've like limited and brought it down to just a handful of people who have really supported me over my career. I love that. And then I, it was frustrating for me when you open up a restaurant, like looking at an opening list and it just being the 
current release and or just the previous release. Yeah, it's so hard because there's no aged wine. You have to start aging it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine if you have a casual restaurant that wants to have like quaffable, like juicy, young, vibrant, uh, vibrant wines or people are drinking wine to like drink wine. But at like the fine dining eleven, they're really talking about like how it pairs and how it works with you the food. You got big dogs going in there. Yeah. You got your tasting menu. Yeah, tasting menu of a couple of flights. So I, I did. I wanted to find a lot of vintage. So I did a lot of auction buying, a lot of private seller buying, a lot yeah. of library releases. This is all like ways of putting wines on your list that you know have five, ten, fifteen, twenty years of age. So that like somebody walks in and they're drinking that bottle in that moment, that it's actually ready to drink. Uh. It's yeah. really just so special. God, I got to go to Cato. Everyone, who's with me? We're buying out Cato. Okay, I want to hear about what's in the glass. Oh, yeah. You guys have your own wine. You make a wine at Cato. It's really tasty. So before, I've been drinking it. Yeah. <laughs> so even before we had the space and a liquor license, my friend Mike Lucia, who's a winemaker up in Mendocino, slash Sonoma, oh, um, he's got three labels. The like lower label is SOK. And that's like retail, like 10 to 15 bucks. He's got a label called Root Down, which focuses on Jura varietals. And then he bought a property up in Mendocino, way up in the mountains, completely by itself called Coal Ranch. Mm. And uh, Coal Ranch is the only, was the only single AVA vineyard in the, in the U.S. And that's just saying a fancy way of saying like, it is so different from everything else that surrounds it that the, 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 the like, whatever the government said okay you can have your own region sick yeah that's amazing so yeah it's i mean i was so happy for him because he definitely is like self-made winemaker and like worked his way up Mm. and he's just such a cool guy and he approaches wine the way i like to approach wine which is like a very non-dogmatic mentality he is trained classically but like not uc davis fresno state Mm -hmm. he is he makes his wines very natural but his cellar and his or his like facilities are super clean. He works clean. He There's works a clean. difference. That's yeah. what people don't understand. Yeah. He had a clean. He converted Coal Ranch to organic right off the bat, which is great. And then what's in this class here is that we, he went over to, he had this idea because it's very alpine climate. Mm. It is snows in the wintertime up there in the Mendocino Mountains. Uh, bloom is a month later. Harvest is a month later. And he said, you know, why should I continue to do varietals that are typical to Sonoma or Mendocino? When this is like true alpine, you know, terroir, and I should plant stuff that are traditionally alpine varietals. So he decided to plant a bunch of stuff from the Savoie cool. and a bunch of stuff from uh, the Jura region. And one of the things he d- uh, got as suitcase finds over was Savienne, which wasn't really here in the U.S., and so he planted. He brought the vines in a suitcase. Yeah, yep. Yeah, That's two. what suitcase vines are, y'all. They <laughs> came in a suitcase. <laughs> Literally a suitcase. Very not legal. Yeah. But um, all good now. Yeah, all good now. And so he uh, crossed over Savian. And we were having a chat just as friends. It's like, man, I don't really know what I'm going to do with this. And I said, I'll take half. Let's Sweet. take half. Will you help me make a label for uh, Cato? So very much so. This is his wine. He's the winemaker. He does everything. So badass that Savian is your house wife. Yeah. What? Yeah. And there's a little like neutral oak. So this is, yeah. it's Tiny bit. Yeah. So we did a tasting. Beautiful. Yeah, it's fun, right? Um, mm-hmm. We did a tasting uh, horizontal, which is taking a bunch of bottles and tasting them all at once with like just a one variable removed. And we did like 20 bottlings of Savian. 
Cool. Yeah. And the Jura is just east of Burgundy in France for those listening. And it is a very unique region in the fact that you pretty much are only there for wine or cheese. Yes. Like, that's it. It's like, and the rolling hills. And, and the babbling brooks. Yeah, babbling brooks. They're so pretty. <laughs> it is a very pretty place, <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's so pretty. But they... And the frog legs. Wait, <laughs> I'm like... And the lobster dam. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but a lot of people didn't know what wines of the Jura were for a long time because you might have heard of like Vinjon, which you like cook with, like, typically like mushrooms and more else. Deglaze with that shit. Yep. So good. And you have a lot of stinky cheeses made there. So they make a really strong uh, style of wine there. And so essentially when you're there white wine wise, you can make a style of wine that is called Uli, which is like bright, crisp, topped off. And like a, like what we're drinking right now. Or you can make a more oxidative style uh, subwall, like a more sherry-esque style mm-hmm. wine. So we decided after tasting all this Sauvignon that we wanted to do an Uli, like a bright, crisp style. And Sauvignon's really unique. The grapes, they're kind of, it's it comes from the Treminer family. So the grapes are like green and have very thick skins. And the bunches are like really hard and mm-hmm. they look like little foxtails. Mm. So you get a lot of extract, but you have a lot of acidity. So it's high acid, really, really bright and crisp. And then you have a lot of character from the skin itself. And in this case, it's like, to me, it's very herbaceous, kind of like Gruner Vetliner or like Sauvignon Blanc. But so pretty. Yeah, but like in a nice, like, in a nice, like, all the, think of like all the herbs that you would use in Taiwanese or Thai um, culture, like cuisine. Yeah, because I think if you did the oxidative Sauvignon, like the under the veil, uh, I don't know if it would pair as well. Like, I, I think it would like butt up against what, the food moment you're trying yeah. to have. So you can only drink this at Cato. Yep. We're, That's it. Yep. This is like bottle number five open. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And do you sell it by the bottle or by the glass too? Or is uh, it it's in the be, pairing? It's going to be in the pairing by the glass, by the oh, bottle. Oh, this is dollar. new. Yeah. This, this is, is just like, coming this out. This is literally, we, yeah, we, this is like literally the fifth bottle we've opened Oh my God. Up. It's so good. Congratulations. I'm like, can Thank I you. buy some? <laughs> <laughs> Got to go um, to Cato. But it's cool because it's like very unique uh, because there's not very much something in, in California. No. Actually, there's just two plantings. Uh, Mike traded some of the vines to another winemaker for a, a, a Savoie bridal. And then we, John's, I'll hand it to you, John's uh, grandfather um, cool. in our bar, we hang some of his paintings and they're absolutely beautiful. Is this one of them? Oh my God, the label is gorgeous. So we took those paintings Amazing. and yeah, hung three of them in the bar. It was the first like design thing that we decided to do in the restaurant. And I love it. And John was very close with his grandfather. And when he passed, he left these paintings to him. And the first thing I told John was like, we need to get these digitally copied so that these, like if anything ever happened to them, we could like ha- still have them. Yeah. Like restaurants, yeah. fire, et cetera. You God forbid. Know. Yeah. What, how do you approach food and wine pairing? Cause it's a huge part of what you do. Like what percentage of diners are going for a wine pairing? A lot at our place. Yeah. yeah. I'd say about 20, uh, 20 to 30% are doing the wine pairing. Another 10 are non-alcoholic pairing. Cool. We did a lot of those at Twomac. Yeah. I always found that interesting. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. Austin's NA parent is great. It's like a mixture of things the bar team makes and things that were curated that like yeah. 10 years ago, like, you know, like there wasn't really like dealkalized wines or non-alcoholic things that no, weren't really poorly it's made. It's so different now. Like yeah. you had to go and like, I would be like, okay, Art of Tea, send me some crazy puer and yeah. we're going to like make the puer and then we're going to mix it with like miso and honey and like shit like that. Yeah, exactly. And now luckily, like, having a balance of that of things created but also things that you can buy alleviates a lot of work and stress so 
So pairing with like a Taiwanese inspired menu. Also, I brought, you know, I was standing in the shop and I was like, what do I bring for Ryan? I don't know. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, Ryan's just like, I feel like you're like classic, right? Like vibe is classic, but then really edgy and very cool. So I was like, I don't know if Bachelet is all these things, but I was like, Ali Gote is kind of that. And I don't know. I thought it would be fun to drink and it's sort of hot out. And I was like, he'll be stoked to yes, drink this 100%. later also when he takes it with I him. I like your descriptions. Can you like, <laughs> uh, you should write dating profiles. I know. I will. <laughs> yeah. I should. Someone, someone hire me. I will write your dating profile. <laughs> but I don't know if that's true or not. We know each other oh, not very well yeah. to be transparent. Now we do. Now yeah. we're going to be friends forever. Exactly. Yeah, um, uh, So food and wine pairing, because I, I think it's something people really stress out about. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are your principles or what are some of the best pairings you've ever done? Like, what's the sneak behind the scenes of pre-shift or lineup or R&D? Or do you ever have to go off the cuff in the moment? I know I just asked you mm-hmm. 20 questions <laughs> when I was really supposed to just um, do well, one at you, a time. Well, thank you for bringing this. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Delicious. I love this wine. I love Aligote. I love Bachelet. Um, so badass. I like, and like what you said, like I like classic wines, but to be honest, myself personally, I drink a lot of Vendisoif, a lot of natural, but I like clean natural. And I also like classic wines that are interesting. Things yep. like that are a little bit uh, push people's minds into a different direction in terms of wine drinking. Like they've uh, never had or you yeah, don't just like, see that often. Yeah, the average person doesn't go like, oh, Aligote. I know that's yeah. a different grape than Chardonnay, but it's grown in the same region. Um, and this is a really nice bottle. So thank yeah, you. Um, of course. Um, yeah. But with pairings, uh, you know, first off, like here at Cato, it's a completely different situation because I've never worked with Taiwanese food before. I really didn't. And I, I think a lot of people don't understand really uh, what goes into that cuisine. But essentially, at Cato specifically, we bring in some of the best seafood in the world. We literally have a buyer who hand selects every fish for us or every piece Whoa. of seafood um, at auction. Speaking my market. language, Ryan. Yeah. Seafood freak over here. Yeah, it's okay. It's great. It's like amazing. And, but the way it's presented or cooked, sometimes the sauces or the things that are else that are on the dish or the recipe itself might have a more savory, more intense flavor profile mm. than a delicate fish. So you have a delicate protein, but a strong flavor profile. And you have to kind of balance out what do I choose? Do I choose a wine or a beverage to go and pair with this high aromatic, so this and really rich sauce, or do I choose to find something lighter, brighter, crisper that doesn't overpower this wow. like really beautiful you know, wild caught amberjack or oh. whatever the fish might be? Classic conundrum from yeah. a wine director. <laughs> yeah. I've been there. Yeah, no, but it really is like what a- what avenue am I going to take, and which one will have the most impact? Yeah. So for me, I try to find wines that have really bright acidity because. Uh, Taiwanese cuisine doesn't really have a lot of citrus or classic uh, acidity. It all mm. comes from vinegar-based uh, acids. Yes, but we love it. And there's a lot of umaminess in the in the wine. It's or I mean the dishes. So I try to find wines with umami. So things that are, maybe are slightly oxidative or salty or nutty. Things that have age to them. Things that push maybe your the boundaries of like classic wine and start to go into wines that are showing secondary characteristics. Cool. Um, and then yeah, and then cl- like just generally, I try to stick to like a set of rules or not rules, but things like, you know, light characters go with light characters. Yeah. So if you have a wine that's green and herbaceous, a dish that's like green herbaceous probably usually works well. You're not trying to go for the opposites attract always. Not always. I don't know if it always works, honestly. I think sometimes it does with sweeter food. Yeah. Is my opinion. But yeah, I rarely go like sweet beverage with a high acid or spicy. I even, I, 
I don't know. That's me personally. I sometimes feel like the sweet beverage with the spicy thing can feel like a cop out because it's like, well, what note of spice is it? You're going to just mute the spice. It's almost like giving someone milk. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Here's your glass of milk to calm you down. Here's your pairing. (laughs) (laughs) Strauss Dairy Creamery coming out. That's what I give Sky, my son. So. Oh my God. How old is he? He's two. Oh my God. Crazy. He just turned two. So being owning an Italian restaurant, we talk about Italian food all the time where we like to eat. Do you guys talk about Taiwanese food a lot or Chinese food? Or, you know, like, um, is there like, all right, hey, John's favorite spot. Like, do you got any hidden gems you can share with the peeps? Uh, Well, first of all, like my, I think the biggest thing in my career that I'm bummed on is I never worked at an Italian restaurant. It's not too late. You guys (laughs) could open one. I'll come stage a couple of times. (laughs) (laughs) But because like in Italian cuisine, like the food and the wine just like, classically have always been paired together like you you like you i never think of like going to an italian restaurant and be like i'm gonna have a beer right now or a cocktail like i want a bottle of wine yeah and like there's a lot of regional pairing too there oh yeah yeah grows together goes together yeah exactly which in taiwan is definitely nothing because yeah. all the liquor production was controlled by the government up until recently so mm-hmm. but yeah in terms of like going out like we so this is a kind of crazy thing when we moved we moved from the west side to the east side and some of the people we talked to were like you're crazy like the money's on the west side and you have a clientele built up here. But we were actually getting a lot of guests coming from San Gabriel Valley. And that's where John and Nikki grew up. And it just felt natural to move a little closer to SGV so that the people who had been supporting us and driving an hour plus to get to Cato in the beginning could have a little easier commute. Yeah. So that's why we ended up in the Arts District. You know, we're really happy with that. But also for us, we live there. You know, yeah. John lives in Arts District. I live in Arts District. And it's 10, 15 minutes drive to SGV to go get food in SGV. The spots. Yeah. And it's great because, well, here's the thing is it's also now you're seeing this like new generation of the kids. Yeah. The The kids kids have come up and they're changing the game. Exactly. And that's John too. Like that's literally John, first generation Taiwanese American. And, but you're seeing a lot of that happening in Arts District too. Like, Ooh. obviously, Ori, Ori and Genevieve, like, really put the Arts District on the map in terms of Bestie and Bavel. Of course. And then you had great restaurants like Damian open up. Um, I love that place. Yeah, so beautiful. There's incredible restaurants all, all around, but you're seeing, like, you know, Cat and John at Yangban open up. Mm-hmm. Like, one of my favorite restaurants right now. You know, you just had Yes open up. You have, yeah. you, so you're seeing, like… Trying to go to Yes. La Cita. Yeah. La Cita, yeah. yeah. La Cita, exactly. All this incredible stuff happening on the, you know, Chinatown Arts District east side of downtown LA, um, which is really exciting to be a part of. You yeah. know, even even in the row itself right now, like I kind of find, feel like we found like our forever home because Chris Bianco reopens uh. up Bianco. You know, you have Picanico there for incredible karage. Then yeah. Bianco opens up his second place. We have Brandon at Hayato doing amazing food that you'll never get a seat at. Sorry, uh, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Just- just it's gonna it's just don't get your hopes up yeah yeah he's a friend and i i don't i would never ask him for a seat is (laughs) it just booked out forever it's hard it's tough to get in but like months it is a it is a very inspiring dinner i'll tell you really okay it is very i'm inspired i feel like i need to go to the arts district tomorrow and just like eat food yeah i I don't think my schedule will permit that (laughs) but Fuck a lot it, of kid-friendly restaurants. Do you know? No, we'll take the kid anywhere. Probably not to Cato, but... <laughs> I'll just strap the baby Bjorn on and work service and... Uh, yeah, that kid, he's way too big for baby Bjorn. Oh, really? He's like off the charts in height. So people think he's like three or four and he's like, eh? Dinosaur? I have no concept of children's ages. Children. They're all... Yeah. It's hard to tell. Yeah. I think it's really hard to tell. Wait, so uh, I have a couple questions. Beyond Cato, do you guys want to do anything else? 
We thought about it. You know, yes, we, yes, 100%. One of the things about doing fine dining that's a little bit of a bummer is that the quality ingredient that we do and the style of service and the what we use is dictates a higher price point. Expensive, um, It's yeah. expensive. And the entry to barrier is high. And, you know, we started recently or about five, six months ago doing a, an abbreviated tasting menu at the bar, which is great. So that there's, about this. Yeah. yeah. But we, it is 1000% in our aim to do something more casual so that we can bring in people to enjoy John and our team you know, like we want to support the people within us and build them up and give them opportunities to cook as well as we grow. But something at a lower price point so that it can be more casual and people can come in when they want to come There's, in and not necessarily like plan. More accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Accessible. I cannot wait for that as yeah. well. I well now highest on my list is to go to Cato. When we get back, I have to go on a trip. But when I get back, my yeah. husband and I are going to come. So if you're in L.A., yeah. you know that the writers are on strike. Yep. How has that affected your business? It's affected us like things, you know, I don't think people realize how interconnected Hollywood is to every single business pretty much in L.A. Yeah. So if Hollywood slows down, everything slows down a little bit, maybe not an insane amount. There's mm -hmm. still other avenues of business. But how has it been for you guys? You definitely see it. I think, you know, we have a lot of regulars in the entertainment industry. We get a lot of people who come to Cato who are creatives in general. Cool fashion, art, design, and definitely in production and uh, writing, directing, being in movies. And what I think a lot of people don't realize is how big that industry, like the impact is on LA. You know, somebody mm. told me it was like something like every day the writers are on strike is like $30 million loss in revenue for the city and all that. But the biggest part is it just puts an unknown. Is like, it's like when you have a whole industry that is like, okay, we're stopped right now, but like, when is it going to start again? <sighs> When it starts again, is We're it going to be December. the same? That's crazy. I think that's what people don't understand about restaurants and hospitality is we can't predict yeah. tomorrow, right? Like there is very little forecasting except mm -hmm. for historical data of like, what did I do in sales last year, this yeah. day? But I think there's so much sensitivity to that. It's so hard to like figure out how much you're going to pay people mm -hmm. or like all these things. It's insane. Like, and the writer strike sort of, I don't know, we've been talking about it because it's, it brings that unpredictability to another level, yep. especially if directors strike too. Yep. And that's what it's looking like too. Yeah. And the actors or something. Yeah. I don't know. Whoever. Everyone's striking. I'm going on strike. <laughs> I believe in a strike, by the way. Yeah. Fine. Go for it. Yeah. Support. I totally want to support uh, them fighting for their rights and for their pay. And it's it just, uh, yeah, like when people outside of LA, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure you probably have a lot of listeners that are outside of LA think like, okay, you know, what is the first industry you think of in LA, you know? Holly weird. All of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite like day off meal? Like, what do you like to eat? Do you like to cook? Do you like to go out? A little bit of both. Like I'm a big, I like coffee. I drink a lot of coffee. Okay. So I definitely plan my days, like my day offs around like, okay, what, what coffee shop am I going to go to? When Interesting. I'm coffee? Yeah. So that's usually how I start the day off is like, okay, I don't have to like rush a cup, I'm like a cup of coffee. I'm going to like do something nice. Like arts district, like, I think it's like other than sunset, maybe like the most like caffeinated area of LA. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I go, I try to go like, you know, the, I'm lucky to live like right by Eightfold and Verve and there's a Maru coffee right there, which is great. I love Sunday at Smorgasburg. There's Be Bright. There's like great so coffee. Cool. So I definitely do that. Have you been to Dayglow in West Hollywood? Been to, yeah, I've been to Dayglow. Really good. Yeah. That's some really good coffee right there. There's one in, uh, in uh, Silver Lake too. Oh, yeah, those yeah. Slayer machines are so hard to dial in. Dude, the coffee is so good. 
It's really special. So you had that. And so then you get all hopped up on. You get all hopped up on caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah. And then like, you know, like you were saying, writing restaurants is hard. This is the first time that I have been in charge of everything in terms of yeah. operationally wise, you know, from, you know, logistics to finance to accounting to design to forecasting and planning yeah. and all that. So my weekends, like I unfortunately, like I spent a couple hours here or there, like admin. definitely working, doing admin, yep. catching up on emails. You um, have to be careful when you run a restaurant. The margins are so small. Yeah. You got to be careful. Yeah. And then I, I mean, I work, so I work the day during operations and at nighttime I work the floor as a sommelier. So it doesn't really allow for a ton of time. But on my weekends, like I said, like, I think there was a streak of like maybe like six weeks I was eating at Young Bun and Arts <laughs> District every weekend. It's really good. It's good. It's not, I like them. I like the food. It's good. It's good. It's tasty. Yeah. It's fun. I, yeah. I like the whole thing. Yeah. I agree. Ryan, before we go, I like to do a little rapid fire right okay. now. Are you down for the rapid fire? Mm-hmm. Let me see. So I Sorry, don't... I was talking and not drinking this incredible wine. It's this so, so good. good. Well, I'm going to send it with you so you can drink it tonight or tomorrow or whatever right, you want to do. We'll trade wines then. Okay, amazing. Sauvignon. Yeah. All right. You oh, ready? You're, pre- you're prepared. Look, oh, you yeah. pulled the laptop out and everything. I got the, it's such easy questions. I was like, I can remember these. But then I was like, you know what? I don't want to mess it up. Okay, white or red? White. Light or full? Light. Ooh, orange or rosé? Rosé. Rosé all day. Fill in the blank. Fried chicken plus? Champagne. Right. Easy. I know. I'm lame. I know. No, it's so good. Truffles or caviar? Caviar. Yeah, definitely caviar. And we're on a real caviar streak with our guests. I listened um, to the Justin episode yeah. too, by the way. That was a good episode. I love that guy. Well, fried called chicken that and James caviar. Beard. Yeah. I called it. Yeah. yeah? Okay. Yeah. He <laughs> no, definitely he... shout out to Ashley Caviar. Uh, I know. And also Anna Jack Ty is just so good. Current drink order. Ooh. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Come on. You got a good one in there. So me and my bar director have this joke that every time I like decide that I want I get fixated on a drink, it like turns out to be like the drink of the summer or like <laughs> the next this. And it's, I believe it. I think restaurant people do that though. Yeah. But it like, I was like, oh, he's like, oh, like, how do you drink your coffee? I'm like, well, it's hot outside. I like, like a coffee and tonic. And he's like, oh, and the next thing you know, coffee and tonic is this. <laughs> and But there's a cocktail I love. Uh, it's a classic New York style cocktail that is called a Naked and Famous. Oh, yeah. yeah. A little chartreuse, mezcal, Aperol on it. And it's super delicious and refreshing. And that's like, if I go to like a real cocktail bar, like somewhere that like I know somebody behind it has some, has cut their teeth. I'll like ask if they'll make that. And usually they do. If they have the chartreuse, chartreuse has been kind of tough to come by. Yeah, I heard there's a chartreuse shortage. Yeah, it's been like a thing for like the last two years, actually. Oh, I love that like, really fancy chartreuse the yeah, yellow maybe. yeah, yeah the with delicious. the VSP. Yeah. Yeah, yeah with like the wax it's just oh, so good just keep it in your fridge you always need it so i like literally have been drinking that's like I is love that a hot drink this summer Naked i literally like, woke up like yesterday and i can't remember if it was like food and wine or bone app i think it was bone app was like hey april spritzes were last year guess what's this year naked famous and i was like oh just to get you more fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you have like three naked and famouses, you're going to be like toasted. Because yeah. it's like all alcohol. And chartreuse is pretty high proof. Yeah. yeah I, that's I, cool. Like in nothing against like a Negroni, but like it's a little bit more summer-esque yeah. in terms of it's lighter yeah. and brighter and a little easier to drink. But it's tough because like 
it's not an easy cocktail like for bartenders to like know it's not like probably in their no. repertoire so well we're gonna see what happens this summer yeah everyone's gonna be naked and famous you go to new york and you can order one in new york oh, i can't wait i'm going friday so i'm gonna order one oh, order nice. it up nice 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 brian okay so where can people find out more about you and cato and you also do a design thing with porte yeah yeah. Yeah. So I launched a product called Porte. It's like a wine cradle situation. We It was very just out of need and necessity. And then it kind of took off. But I'm also like trying to run a restaurant. So it's a little on the back burner. But yeah, I do some writing from time to time. Different couple of publications, freelance and um, an app that I helped with uh, called Star Wine List. That is just like a little guide. And then yeah, at Cato, like I said, five nights a week, I'm on the floor working. Um, go, so go to Cato yeah, if you want to find Ryan. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. We're... Uh, or, you know, we're, like I said, we're at the row in downtown Arts District. And um, yeah, we do a 10-course tasting menu focusing on John's kind of upbringing as being Taiwanese-American and his, you know, family's recipes. And, and I hear Tuesday's a real rage. It's like an insider's night. Actually, Tuesday's we get an industry night, yeah, for Tuesdays, sure. Tuesdays and Wednesdays are the nights to go. Industry, for sure. Yeah. yeah if you want to know the, re- you want to be a real deal, cool yeah, guys sure. and gals, go mm. then. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're incredibly busy. And this was so lovely. I love talking to someone who knows what's up. I like this kind of style conversation. That's cool. I do too. Well, you're going to have to come back. I'm going to have to have you back after I go to Cato because then I'll have way more questions and more topics to delve into. All right. Cheers to you. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Yay. Oh, yeah. Who else wants to go to Cato? I really want to go to Cato. I really just want Taiwanese food in general right now. But Ryan's the best. Uh, please go and check out what they're doing. It's really, really unique, really special and award-winning. So there's enough like reasons to go. I think having him back after I go to Cato is going to be very high on my list because we didn't even get to delve into that side of it. I am not a firsthand experienced person. So we got to get into it. But if you guys want to go visit, just be like, I heard you on Wine Face, yo. I got to come in. I just want to let you all know that I am going to be taking a few weeks hiatus uh, after this episode, but don't fear. I'm digging in the vault back to some old, old OG recipes, some of my favorites from when I first started the podcast. I'm going to be featuring a few incredible guests, including John Gray from Ghetto Gastro. So there's a lot of gems back in the vault. And I think a lot of my new listeners haven't heard those episodes. So Stay tuned the next couple of weeks because it's going to be really fun and exciting. If you want to see what I'm up to in real life, you can follow me on on Instagram always at Helen's Wines. Check out our wine club. You can join helenswines.com. And as always, drink something tasty. All right, thanks. Bye.